0: Greetings, this Lord's Day in the magnificent and bright name of Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our praise. Amen. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. Today we gather on the first day of the week, the day that Christ rose from the dead, to remember that God is making all things new. God is doing this wonderful work in you and through you. We need a Savior. Everybody say, "I need a Savior." Without God, we have no hope, and neither does the world, but hope has come, salvation has come. Praise ye the Lord. Today, God has called us into his presence to worship us, to worship him as his people, a people who were not a people, but now are the people of God. David of all men knew how dark the night of his sinful flesh was, and how desperately he needed the resurrecting power of God. And so does the world. He sang of it in Psalm 53 and in Psalm 14. He sang against hope that salvation himself was coming and through him. And as we know today, David's prayer was answered and salvation has come. Amen? Amen. Psalm 53 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they. And they have done abominable iniquity. there's none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek after God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not... Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. They were there in great fear, where no fear was, for God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. O oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. David knew that joy was coming, and today we know that joy coming came in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. What we might want to remember today is that joy keeps coming every time a man or woman is born into this world that is born of God. And when we come and where we go, his light pierces the darkest night. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us. And calling us by your name and not just allowing us to come and and be a servant in your house but to come as your sons and your daughters lord not just avoiding shame but sharing in your glory we come before you today knowing we do not deserve to be here or be invited to this feast and we ask ourselves why and we know the answer it is because you are good and your mercy endures forever Lord, we come hungry and thirsting after righteousness knowing that we shall be filled and praying indeed that you would change us and make us more like you and make us fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said amen. 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 Please remain standing for just a little bit more as I read to you my text. I'm going to preach on the entire book of, or the entire book. Well, that's going to be great. On the entire chapter, 14th chapter of the book of Psalms, and I'll read for my text Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3 as my text, but I'm going to preach on all seven verses of this chapter. Psalm 14, starting in verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people today. Lord, that they would hear your voice. That they would hear the message of the scriptures here in Psalm 14. That it would settle into our hearts and our minds. And we would see it for the glorious and beautiful truth that it is. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said? You may be seated. You might have noticed that our call to worship from Psalm 53 is practically identical to Psalm 14 because Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are almost word for word exactly the same. Most of the psalm is quoted verbatim also in Romans chapter 3 as we heard in our reading today our good brother Andy read for us. The doctrine being taught in this scriptural passage is no doubt, repeated as it is, because of the importance of this great but very difficult truth. I was telling the men up here today, as we gathered in our uh, huddle, pre-huddle, pre-service huddle, that um, that if you were going to be scrolling through a list of somebody's sermons and you saw a sermon on total depravity, you'd probably just keep scrolling. You know, you'd kind of want to. Just like, like you know, I see enough bad stuff in the world and I hear enough bad stuff on the news. I'm pretty convinced I know the bad news of all that. I don't really want to hear it. But when we talk about total depravity, what is it? Um, total depravity is a good moniker, uh, honestly, but not really a very bright one. It's not a name you'll likely see written in bright yellow yet letters anywhere or touted on a t-shirt, unless you're around some real TR people. Um, but I think it should be written on a black shirt for Tim who makes shirts and just wherever Tim's at. Tim's moved, he's got me all distracted. Where's Tim? He's gone. Tim, you gotta put it on a black t-shirt with white letters, real bright, with like with like rays coming out of it, okay? Because it is a great, Bright truth, I think that all doctrines of the Word of God bring glory to God. Amen? Everything, even the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, where the stench of sulfur burns, where the worm dieth not, and souls cry out for deliverance, and there is none. Even that glorifies God. We'll save that one for another day, but suffice it to say, The God who made the lake of fire did not go dark when He spoke its hellish halls into existence because there is no darkness in Him at all. He is the Father of lights. In Him there is no variable, neither shadow of turning. Amen? Amen. And if we understand it rightly, understanding the full ramifications of total depravity can be a great gift of God, the Father of lights. So let us go... And take a look at total depravity today as we walk through Psalm 14, the Psalm I am calling depravity. Depravity? Deliverance, deliverance. and glory. Deliverance. On one side, the side most frequently talked about, total depravity is totally depressing. And it and it should be. We don't like to hear it. We don't like to be confronted with it. And only on the other side, it shows the depth of our distance that God came across to deliver us and in doing so we see it for the great glorious thing that it is. Now for your reference the T in the well-known acronym TULIP used to quickly summarize what it means to be a Calvinist or to be reformed and the T stands for total depravity. And if all the other letters lack a particular and necessary order and maybe they were just put together because it's spelled a familiar flower. I think tea is right exactly where it needs to be, right at the front of the doctrine. This doctrine helps us better understand who we are and what we are and why we definitely need a savior. Before God quickened you and before God quickened me, we were dead. Everybody say dead. Dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were totally saturated by sin born in sin and shaped in iniquity we were without hope we were not hearing impaired we were deaf to God's glory we were not looking at God through the dim light of a weak faith we were groping in a darkness that could not be lighted by anything within us or through anything in this world we were faithless we were not sin sick we were dead in our sins. We were not seeking, we were not looking, we were not worshiping, we were not working toward our own salvation or working it out. We were not because, why? Because we could not. We were not merely in a bad way, a difficult situation, struggling under the heavy burden of a difficult, something that was just hard for us, but no, we were struggling against the impossibility of making ourselves alive we were completely crushed to powder and we were blown away in the wind. Total depravity, complete hopelessness, faithlessness and finality. Not four days in the grave and stinking like Lazarus with the mourners faces still wet with tears but dead, buried and disintegrated completely. And as we'll see here not only is this true but as dark as it sounds David wrote and sang a song about it in the house of God and in doing so he lifted up the name of the Lord I mean how many of you like sad songs sad songs can be and this is actually derailment here from my thing but sad songs can remind us of the joy that we have if you listen to sad songs when you're sad you're you're in trouble uh, but you can listen to a sad song when you're not doing so bad, and it actually is kind of a way of bringing you joy. Psalm 14, starting in verse 1, says to the chief musician, A psalm of David. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. If what I said a few minutes ago is true, and I certainly believe it is, the Bible teaches that atheism should not be such a big surprise when we encounter it. We should regard it for what it is. It is the honest opinion of a son of Adam whose sin has killed the goodness and holiness of God that was in him and he is a fool, but what else can he be? He cannot believe in what he cannot see. He cannot sing to a tune that he cannot hear. And he cannot want what he has not the capacity to to desire. It's kind of hard to look at the people in the world like this, but it is what they are. Sometimes I think we're so foolish because God was not always, when Jesus came in the world, He was not always railing against them. He was a railing against us. Because we had eyes to see and we have ears to hear, but we're not listening. But they don't have them at all. Verse 2 says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand any that did seek God how many men are there born only of Adam who understand and seek after God everybody knows the answer no not one we walk around and we go what's wrong with those people what's wrong with them is they're blind and they don't see what you see Paul describes it as that what you see is beautiful and glorious for them is like a rotting carcass on the road out there that's been run over by a semi truck It's not appealing, it's not appetizing, it's not attractive to them. It's disgusting, and it is uh, something that they definitely don't want any part of. Like their father, who was cast out of the garden of God's goodness, who was warned that disobedience to God would bring him death, they have received the congenital disease of sin passed down to them in total from both their father and their mother, and it has rendered them sterile to produce any other life than that which is their own kind. These walking dead, those whose mortal souls are brought into this world in fleshly bodies, knowing not the nature of heaven's choirs, believes at his deepest core that there is no God. He may be born around those who say they believe in the Almighty and so pretends to see what he cannot see, but he, the fool that he is, still says in his heart, there's no God. Verse 3, they're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. All are gone aside, not some. All together become filthy, not part. Everybody say it with me. all." All. That's what total depravity is about. It's complete. It's an amazing thing. If you read through the Scriptures, everything that man does in his own nature, even the good that he does, is disgusting to God. The good works that he does are not good works. They are sins. The prayers that he offers, God hates them. He sees them for what they are. They are lies. They do not believe in God. They are not seeking after Him. They are parroting truths that they have heard said, but at their core, they are lying in the face of God when they pray, and God hates their lies. You might say, that sounds crazy. I can't even believe that you would say that people pray to God and He hates it. I didn't make it up. It comes straight from the scriptures he hates them he despises them the memorization of psalm chapter 7 if you remember the sermon that we preached from him from that tim read the whole thing today i'm glad that he did it said that his sword is wet and his bow is bent that the pit that they dig for others they had fallen in it god despises them and he hates them what what in the world is that all about that sounds pretty scary does it not todd All work iniquity. All are without the knowledge of God. All who are merely, uh, they are not neutral or ambivalent to God, but their condition worse than natural death knows no deeper hopeless and lovelessness. They are cannibals who not only hate God but hate His children. And the Scripture says that they eat them like bread. Not only do they not love God, they hate Him. Not only do they not love you, they hate you. None call upon the Lord to save them. None of them they cannot because their mouths are full of destruction like the Jews who gnashed upon Stephen as his face had earlier in their presence glowed like the face of an angel. When confronted with the Word of God, they did not run into it as a tower for salvation. They ran at God with their mouths open, gnashing on them with their teeth. Picking up stones and smashing them into His head. As He spoke the words of eternal life to them, they hated and despised them so much, they didn't just walk away with no care. They railed with hatred and seethed with it. You may not understand this, but you do too. You might wonder why you don't like being corrected, why you don't like being told that you're not conforming to the Word of God. You may not realize it, what what wells up inside of you, that thing that happens to you that goes, Who does he think he is? What is he telling me that for? I can tell you, because my job is to bring you to bear the Word of God in your life, that's why. And you hate it. And you hate me. Now, I'm not saying you in total, but I'm saying the wretched man that's the wretched man that's why when you hate it and you hate me when I do it it doesn't bother me so much because that's what they did to Jesus and that's what we would have done to Jesus if he were in front of us they did worse than those deaf that cannot hear they did not want to hear and the sin that drove them to murder like the demons did the herd of swine at Gadara, sending them into the sea of Galilee, they ran to their destruction. (laughs) Jesus warned of this when He told His disciples not to think it strange that they would certainly face the fiery trials of men's hatred. He had seen this and not only could they find could He find no faith in themselves to see God, they are filled with the spirit of Satan their father and they want to pull God down from His throne and sit in it themselves. They hate God and His presence. To them is torment. And you, when you're in their presence, you torment them too. Filled with the Spirit of God, it will most certainly be hated by them. Verse 5 says, There were they in great fear for God is in the generation of the righteous their lives are defined by fear they are afraid of God but not in a productive way in a destructive way like those who see clearly their judgment awaiting them from God they strike out like a cornered animal against God and his people in hopes that they can change their destiny of destruction but they cannot Verse 6, you have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. These people hate and despise so much that they pick out the weak and the helpless and they become tyrants where they rule over others, defining the great ruler as they defy the great ruler of the heavenlies by exalting themselves over others. This is why Christ teaches us we should each esteem others better than ourselves. We should look to others, and we should see their value before God, because what do they do? They are tyrants. You ever put one of your ch- children in charge of another one of your children to see what kind of a leader they're going to be, and you find out they're a tyrant. And if you have old enough children to see this happen, you come back only to find out that they've, you know, they, 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 they're worse than a marine drill sergeant on Paris Island. They're ready, to, they're ready to beat and destroy and beat. They're just ready to have them, you know, this is at the heart of the sinfulness of mankind. It is not at the heart of the sinfulness of mankind to love others and lay down their life and esteem them higher and to lose their life. And That's not what they want to do. They, they can't do that. You can only do that when you love people. When you despise them, when you think you're better than they are, it's impossible for you to kneel down and wash their feet. This is that ugly part of us, Steve, that's got to die. That part that wants to rise up and say, I'm somebody and I'm going to be somebody. This is what sinners do because that's who they are. This should be no surprise. This is who we were and who we sometimes now give way to when we return to the ways of the old man of sin, the wretched man within us. But This will not always be so, as it tells us in verse 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. Aren't you glad? I love to read a prayer that somebody makes that has come true. All oh, that salvation, year after year, Brother Andy, the Jews sang it. Oh, that salvation would come out of Zion and save us, O oh Lord. And they'd sing it year after year. And they would pray it time after time. And it was not like the prayer that Paul prayed where God didn't answer it, where God didn't give him his request, but where God did. It was a prayer that was answered. Oh, that salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad what David prayed for came true when Christ Jesus was born and what seemed absurd and impossible came and brought joy unspeakable in the world that's what God does here at Foundation Church we oftentimes find ourselves on the Lord's day and hearing these same words of Paul from Ephesians chapter 2 I don't think we can hear them enough I love to hear it every single time. I like to be reminded of who I was and who I am right now from Ephesians chapter 2. And you, everybody say, me. me. And you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. What were we? Everybody say, we were dead. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. What we were by nature, we were children of wrath. O people of God, we were the children of wrath, but we are not anymore. But we, not we, but our mom, no, not our mom, but anyone or anything, no, that what comes next is but God. We cannot give thanks that we happen to understand. We cannot give thanks that somehow we figured it out. We cannot give thanks that somehow after persevering and trying and working hard enough, we finally got it. No, there's but nothing. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love. I love this. It's His mercy. It's His love. It's His glory. It's His everything. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together in Christ I know Paul didn't write in English. There probably were no parentheses. I don't know, but I love it. He puts a parentheses around this. By grace we are saved. Like, like He's getting ready to say it in verse 8, but like he can't even stop himself. He's got to put a parentheses here. Uh, just, just I, I, I want to get to verse 8 so bad that I'm just going to throw it in here and stick parentheses around it. Verse 6, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Because I'm getting to that part. I'm getting to that part. And He's raised us up together. He's made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It's His grace. It's His kindness that's what brings the doctrine out of the dark into the marvelous light. You see, yes, we're dark. Yes, we're dead. Yes, we're depraved. Yes, we're hopeless. But He appears on the scene, the Savior of the world. His grace, His kindness. That what brings it to us it was God's grace and kindness through Jesus that he did what we would not do what we could not do he did it for his own glory and he did it in such a way that we we would receive that he himself would receive all the glory and that's the way it should be none other deserves the glory but God and then this is what he was working toward For by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not, it is not, it is not, it is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not, just to emphasize it again, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Andy read it for us. Where's the boasting? It is excluded total depravity gives total credit where it is due and robs our false pride of any hint of glory we sat in our living room one time and talked to a woman and she said i love your church and I love your people but i cannot stand your doctrine could you please change it so we could come to your church and i said what bothers you so much about our doctrine she said your doctrine doctrine says i had nothing to do with my salvation but i did and i said honey no you haven't there was a man who stood in our church and i called the church i told him what we were and i reminded us of who we were we're sinners and he comes up and he said it sounded today like you called me a sinner from the pulpit up there and i said that you must have good hearing he said i don't like that and i said well who does And he said, and I don't want to hear it ever again. And I said, well, then you probably better never come back here because we're going to say it every week over and over and over lest we forget it. You may wonder what Deuteronomy chapter 6, why I had it read at all. I'll tell you why. Because it's lunacy. It's insane. It shows our depravity so much when you read chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, what God wants us to do. And even after we do all that, we'll forget. He said, I want you to teach your kids when they rise up, when they lie down, when they walk by the way, when they sit in your house. I want you to put it on the doorpost. I want you to put it as as between your eyes. I want you to do all this. I want you to talk about it. I want you to do this. And he goes, because you're going to forget. I mean, what would, what would you do? So you marry Andy and it's going good and you tell him, this is where we're going to put the keys. And you tell him that when you rise up, when you lie down and when you walk by the way and you sit in your house and you write signs on the walls and Andy keeps going, so honey, where's keys? I told you where they were. It's written all over our entire house. Well, i talked about it 15 times a day. Honey, could you tell me where the keys are? You see, Deuteronomy chapter 6 reminds us, and really it's an indictment against us, that we can hear it day and night and morning and afternoon, and it can be written on scriptures all over the place, and we forget God could have bring you into a land, and the very houses that He gave you, the gift that's standing in front of you, you're going to forget that God gave them. You see, that's what sin does. Depravity doesn't recognize God. It goes, look what I did. Not by works total to save and total to work not by works we are the word god makes us new he resurrects us from the dead like christ and we arise to walk in newness of life we are not the source of it and we cannot maintain it and better yet we cannot extinguish it now that may not be such good news to you because you don't know how sinful you are but it's good news for me i'm going to heaven And nothing's going to stop me. And no one's going to stop me. Not height, not depth, not any other creature. Not angels, not principalities. And not me. Woo! Sorry. I'm going to try to behave myself, but I don't know again. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not the good works we want to do. Because we don't want to do them. But the good works God has made us to do, we can't even take credit for the good we do after He saves us. Because where we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should do. Paul used the words of David's psalm to teach the Romans about total depravity, God's deliverance and His glory. Romans chapter 3 and 4 make this argument plainly and we could spend all day talking about it. But I'm going to look at it briefly to hammer home what God is saying through His words. What well, then, are we better than they know? This is Romans 3.9. For we have before proved both the Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Let's say it again. Everybody say all. all. You know, sometimes I think we like to feel good about what we can't really feel good about. I'm thankful that I was born into a church I'm thankful that my parents brought me into a church you could be thankful for the same thing but just so you knew everybody that's born in the kingdom of God was first born a wretched heathen sinner that doesn't love God and doesn't know God but God who was rich in his mercy sparked the divine spark in you and gave you ears to hear and eyes to see as it is written verse 10 there is none righteous no not one there is none that understand it there's none that seeks after god none righteous no not one none that understands i think that maybe this is becoming clear to us why are you hearing it over and over because you already forgot it five minutes ago they're all gone out of the way they're all together become unprofitable there's none to do with good no not one if i say no not one their throat is an open sepulchre; their tongues they have used to seat, the poison of asp is under their lips could he be any more clear as he quotes from the Psalms and adds a little bit of flourish here and there whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood have you ever thought of yourself like that if you did you wouldn't have such a problem with everyone in the world that has a problem with you if you thought of yourself like that, you wouldn't get your feelings hurt, and you wouldn't be upset, and you wouldn't believe they would talk. You should think of yourself, well, no wonder they treat me that way. I'm a wretched, horrible sinner. It's a wonder we can get along. It's a wonder we can have this many people in a room that can stand to even look at each other. It's a miracle is what it is. It's a miracle that some of you have been with us for 15 years through good and bad and difficulty, through times of disagreement and and disunity and fright and and sinfulness and forgetting every single day who we really are. But you know what God does? God, who is riches in mercy, Tim, He reminds us who we are. Right when we're looking at people and we want to push them out of our lives and God says, oh, you're just looking at you. We shouldn't be angry with our children when they're sinners. They're reminding us of who we are. That's what we are without the help of God. Destruction and misery are their ways. Destruction and misery is your way and my way without God's mercy. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, they saith to them who are under the law that every mouth shall be stopped. And There is a picture here, and it's a beautiful picture and one of the most amazing things about this when I read this, I remember it just panging my heart. The picture of every mouth stopped is when a guy goes before the judge. He goes before the judge and the, they, the, the people, the evidence has read, written about who he is and, and what he does and what happens next is normally a man, you know what he does? He opens his mouth he says, that's not me. I didn't do that. I don't deserve this punishment. That's what, that's what man does. And God said what He's done in the world is to stop and to shut the mouths of every man. And so when we stand before God, our mouths are shut. We know we are what we are. When we come into this house, we should know that we have no reason to be proud we have no reason to think ourselves better than others we have no reason to say whatever it is that i've done i probably did worse than that please forgive me we have no reason for any of that when we are reminded of who we are and what we are without god's mercy there is nothing to say in our defense and the thing that paying my heart so bad brother andy was that we don't stand before god like that but jesus did it says in Isaiah that what, he, what, he, what would he do? He stood there before them. He didn't open his mouth. He could have. He could have opened his mouth and he could have said, I don't deserve to go. Steve Foyze does. He could have said, Josh Narwald should be here. Mark Robinette. But he kept his mouth shut when he could have opened it. And yet we open our mouths and we speak against God as if somehow He is guilty. Somehow He is not righteous. When we complain about our circumstance, when we rise up and pride against Him and when we know that we are wrong, oh, that this doctrine would shut our mouths. All the world would become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin no one knew. But now we know. I love verse 21 he says, "But now it's kind of like but God in, in Ephesians chapter 2, but God but it turns the corner Romans 3:21But now but now the righteousness of God." Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, no one could see. But now we see. Even the righteousness, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them to believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23, it's quoted all the time in what they call the Roman road. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God verse 24 says it beautifully being justified freely freely nothing to do with you nothing done by you justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus by the shut mouth of the lamb of god who kept his mouth shut and went to the cross for us whom God, it says in verse 25, has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, the righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. And he asked the question, and I'll ask it for you today, where is the boasting then? (laughs) See, we got to be reminded, Caden, about this. We want to brag. We want to go, look at me. I could be out in the world You know, having three girls' names tattooed to my arm. I could go out in the world and I could be this and I I could do this and I could do that. But I'm here today. I've been good. I remember I used to feel like that. All the other kids in the church were living ungodly lives in the church I grew up in. I'm like, but not me. Not me. And I remember how good I felt to be so holy and so just. And I remember what God had to bring in my life to show me who I really was because there's none righteous where is the boasting then brother Jason it's excluded by what law? nope works? nope but by the law of faith therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law and this is an important thing and we can't go into it too much what we want to do after we understand it all is we want to go ahead and try to be really 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 good and we can make that the pursuit of our life and I'm telling you That's a fruitless pursuit. God wants us to pursue Him and love Him and see ourselves for who we are and realize that as good as we can get isn't that good at all. And in fact, an unhealthy pursuit of being good in our lives becomes uglier than outright sin. Outright rebellion against God's commandments. Sometimes trying to stand in your own righteousness before God has a worse stench than the filth of sin. He concludes his argument about man who could not do for himself and how he gives no room for his glory. This is but one side of a two-sided coin. The other side is what God does in us when he delivers us and saves us. He gives us faith. Everybody say, "God has given me faith." God has given me faith. Not only did he make you alive, okay? You were desperate and you were hopeless and it was impossible and there was nothing good and there was all that, right? And he saved us from that, and that's fantastic. But you know, God did more than that. He gave us faith. We are not only alive from the deadness of our sin, we are not only given sight to see God, we are not merely given to sight to see the obvious. We are not just given the eyes that we lost in Adam. We were given eyes that Adam never had. We can now see the unseeable. And I'm telling you, this is where this is the bright Corner that is turned right here. It we didn't just get restored to Adam. I think we got something else because the Bible says Adam was one thing, but the second Adam. (laughs) Now that's something else. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, that you are a new creature. God has made something that was never before. He's not just restoring you to be like Adam, He's restoring you to be like Adam, and then He's taking you to be like Christ. He's not just given us sight to see the obvious as Adam should have been able to see. We were not just given eyes that we lost in Adam. We were given the eyes of faith and we can now see the unseeable. That's what faith is. Faith is our superpower. We saw this parade. Jesus is a superhero or whatever. They're from some VBS, you know, and And I know everyone's all about superheroes today, and I I hate to be relevant like that, but I'm telling you right now, there's nothing else you can call it, Christina, but faith is the superpower that we have that the world does not have. The children of Adam cannot even comprehend it. The angels don't even understand it. Faith is a glorious gift of God. God has always done in His Word. He does not stop at the necessary. He doesn't just fix the bad. He takes what is wretched and horrible. And for the ashes of death, He gives us the beauty and the dancing. And He gives us incredible things that we could never imagine. He doesn't just make the bad go away. He brings us into the marvelousness of His life. Faith is a glorious gift of God. And as God has always done in His Word, He does not stop at the necessary He walks across the waters of our reality and suspends the laws of nature as he calms the storms that cloud our vision. And that is what he did for Abraham, the father of the faithful, but he even did more for us. He could look into the wilderness of a strange land and see a gleaming city of God on Zion's hill, one that wasn't there. We begin to see this in Abraham what God was going to do in us. He could walk out of Ur and they say, where are you going? And he's going, I'm going to a city. Well, what's the location? What's the GPS? What's the address? He goes, I don't know, but I can see it. You're crazy, Abraham. Oh no, I'm not crazy. I can see what you can't see. He could look into the deadness of his own body and the body of his wife where no children could come where no children would come, and he could see generations of faithful. He was able even to look at his dead son. And, and as I was uh, mulling over this and contemplating this last night, I finally think I understand why Abraham did not hesitate, but why he lifted his knife and was bringing it down, and God had sent an angel to grab him by the hand. Because in he already saw his son dead on the rock, Covered the rock covered in His blood. And even looking at that, you know what He saw? He saw grandchildren. He saw the unseeable. Why? Well, I'm a hundred years old. I see generations. I see nations. I see the world being conquered through me. In the desert where there was nothing, He saw a city. And even in the death of His Son that was about to occur, He was bringing down the knife. He saw life in death. He was able to look into the dead son who in his mind's eye was soon to be lifeless on the altar emptied of his blood. Faith not only gives us eyes to see what is real here and now, it gives us bodies to God's word like the worshiping universe did when God spoke. A blazing sun appeared when he said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven and a smooth cool moon rose from the darkness to stand as a sentinel in earth's night sky. That's what faith does and where it was born. Faith is born in the total darkness of total depravity and all creation is warmed and cheered by it. God not only saved us, He made us the instrument of the entire world's salvation. We are saved from the deep pit of total despair. And now, Brother Steve, we are saving the world. It isn't just that our bad news is over. We have become the good news of the world. And if that doesn't get you excited and cranked up on a hot Sunday afternoon, I don't know what will. We had no strength of our own and now we have world-saving strength. See how Paul shows the Romans, the this glorious truth in Romans 4. If you think that I just went off the rails, go and read it for yourself. I won't read it all. I'll read a little bit. Romans 4, therefore it's of faith that it might be of grace. To the end of the promise might be sure of all the seed, not that which is only the law, but that which is the faith of Abraham who's the father of us all. So he's reminding this wasn't just an Abraham thing. Abraham wasn't just seeing Isaac alive. Abraham wasn't just seeing a city. Abraham wasn't just seeing a dead, his own dead body, what it couldn't do. Abraham was seeing, and you can see it too, Verse 17, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who believed, even God who quickens the dead. And he calls those things which are not as though they were. You see the superpower? You can see what isn't even seeable. From impossibility to even produce one child to doing the impossible. From nothing to nations. That's what God did in Abraham and what he's doing in you who against hope believed in hope that He might become the Father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And, not, and being not weak in the faith. I love it. He's emphasizing what was changed. He's not weak in the faith. He considered not His own body now dead when He was about 100 years old. Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You see, he kept looking. He could see the city. He could see the children. He could see a living son where a dead one was about to be. He could see the unseeable, and that's what faith is. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, He's able to perform it even if my son is dead. He's able to perform it even if there's nothing to build this city. He's able to perform it even if Sarah can't ovulate and can't have a baby. And I can't even be with her. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what is weakness before my own eyes and what is impossible to me. What does faith do? But it sees and believes and lives out and realizes the impossible people of god can you see it if you're here today and you can't see it if you go where others can see it cannot see it speak god's word to them and watch what god does in them and through you to whom god has given all things you not only have the power of life within yourself but you can give it brother tim the bible says where does this faith come faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that when we speak the words of God in faith, these those that are dead we are like Christ standing outside of Lazarus' tomb, we don't say come forth Lazarus, we say thus saith the Lord and when we say thus saith the Lord and we speak his word, we watch the dead rise in our very presence as God gives them faith kind of makes you want to kind of where, where's, where's Luke, where's Luke, come on kind of makes you want to go down that community center you might go, there was nobody there but us I remember we showed up in, in uh, Matupi and there was not a person in the pew. And we stood there and they said, well, we came. And we, we came. You're going to go back. You're going you're to see people come. You're going to speak the word of God to them. And you're going to see faith be born in them. And you're going to go, how'd that happen? And God's going to go, that was through you. <laughs> It's like looking into your house and you see, wait a minute, where there was nothing before, where I was sitting on Buttles Avenue in a place making candles, thinking there was no hope for my life. I now have a wife and I now have little children that were not, but God promised me somehow that this would happen in my life and it did. And I'm going to see spiritual children come too because God has not made us fruitless vines. He will give us fruit. You not only have the power of life within yourself, but you can give it. Faith in others will come from you as you speak God's word. Faith comes when they hear you speak God's words. This is the wonderful thing that God is doing in and through you to save the world. This is our superpower. If God has given you faith, let nothing and no one shut your mouth when it comes to speaking his word, but stand before God when you understand what you are and let your own mouth be shut about your own sin be like Christ I'm gonna read Psalm 14 I really believe that we have gotten the essence of what is being said in this song and what is even better than what is in this song is that the prayer in the very last verse has already been answered for you Psalm 14 the fool that said in his heart there is no God they're corrupt they've done abominable works there's none that doeth good the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God but they're all gone aside they're all together become filthy there is none that doeth good no not one have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord they were there in great fear for God is in the generation of the righteous you have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge oh that salvation oh that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. You are Jacob rejoicing today and you are the gladness of Israel because Abraham looked and he believed that one day you would be in these pews. You would be worshiping God and folks. You are that promise that Abraham believed. You are the children of Abraham. You are the mighty nation that came from him. Amen? Amen. 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 Let us pray oh we thank you for your kindness for your goodness for your mercy for doing more for us than we could have ever expected lord for being like that father who waited on the son to come home who stood on the porch and watched and instead of just welcoming him him and 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 taking care of his necessities giving him a little bit of water and a little bit of food oh no oh no that's not that's not what you do Oh my God, You put a robe upon our backs and a ring upon our fingers and You killed the fatted calf for us. And Lord, You caused all of the world to rejoice for what the world waited and groaned for has come in You and now continues to come in us. Oh, let us rejoice today. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.